Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I just give you thanks and praise for this opportunity. I thank you, Father God, for this gathering in your presence. And Father, I thank you for your word that comes forth and teaches us and guides us and delivers us, Father God, from all things. And we give you the praise and the glory. Father, I thank you that you have used me at this point. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, the title of my <clears throat> message is Qualifications for Leadership. And there was a quote that came out a few years ago that I thought was kind of interesting. It says, can you help me? Where have they gone? I must find them, for I am their leader. <laughs> and sadly, that's, <laughs> that's the way a lot of them are. But our opening scripture today, uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 10. It says, the saying is true and irrefutable. If any man eagerly seeks the office of bishop, superintendent, overseer, he desires an excellent task. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, and of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, nor striker, nor greedy, a filthy lucre, nor, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how shall he then take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being filled up with pride, he shall fall in condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and do and the snare of the devil. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-minded, not given to much wine, not greedy for filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. And let these also first be proved and let them be used. Then let them be used of the office of deacon and be found blameless. One of the things we need to understand about being a good leader, first off, you have to learn how to be a good disciple. Um, there was one time I'd heard this, this statement says that we, we should all have a Paul. So in other words, we should all have somebody that we look up to. That, we, that mentors us. And I don't care what stage of your life you're in. And that is like a rabbi, so to speak. And then we all should have a Barnabas, that person that you have coffee with, that you talk with, that you sharpen. You know how a friend sharpens another friend as, as iron sharpens iron. And everybody should have a Timothy, somebody that you're mentoring to. And that kind of keeps us in a balance. We're not lifted up because we got somebody that's mentoring us and it's bringing and bringing instruction into our lives. We got somebody that we're sharpening off of, and then we got somebody that we're mentoring. And as you, you know, if you ever notice that as you teach, you learn more. You do. I mean, because if you're going to be responsible uh, for what you're teaching, uh, you do. You spend time learning. You spend time. How do I speak to this person? James 3.1 in the Passion Translation says, My dear brothers and sisters, don't be so eager to become a teacher in the church since you know that we who teach are held in higher standard than judgment. That's, that's a sobering thought when you think about it. 
especially if you're in that place of mentoring someone. Because there's, there's a relationship there, and they're looking up to you to teach them or give them the truth. And so it's important that we are giving the truth at all times because we're judged against that. So one of the things about being a leader and about being a, a uh, disciple, in Matthew 28, um, verses 18 through 20, now this is out of the complete Jewish Bible. It says that Yeshua came and talked with them. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make people from all nations into Talmudin. And Talmudin is the Jewish word for disciple. T-A-L-M-I-D-I-M. And it says, immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Remember, I will be with you always, yes, even to the end of the age. The interesting thing about this, when we read it in the um, King James, or they say, make them disciples and baptize them. Now, there's an issue here. One of the things about when we go and we minister the word to somebody and they become born again, are they a disciple or are they a convert? See, they're a convert. And one of the things that I've noticed, I guess, because being with the altar care team, that I've noticed that we've had prayer time for people. We've led people in salvation, and people walk out that door who've raised their hands, who've said the prayer. Are they converts or disciples? They're converts. We offer a um, new believers class to help begin the discipling process, but not very many people come to it. That's because... And I should say, well, I feel it's because people think, well, okay, I made it. I'm in, yay team, let's go have a beer. <laughs> you know, and, and that might be a little exaggerating, but, but oftentimes it, it's what it feels like. It's like, okay, I've raised my hand, and now nobody really knows. I didn't go up front and talk to anybody, and I can sneak out the back, but I feel good about myself because I just received Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that's a good thing, they're going to heaven. But there's a process of discipling because these people then kind of just fall to the wayside. They become like that. We talk about the seed that falls to good ground or poor ground or, you know, all those seeds where they fall. And the seed fell and it landed. But did it get hoed? Did it get fertilized? You know, how we make things grow. So it's important that we understand one of the things about teaching a person about being a disciple. Because one of the things about being a disciple, so I looked this up, it says a disciple or a student, a Talmud, the relationship between a Talmud and his rabbi was very close. Not only did the Talmud learn facts, reasoning processes, and how to perform religious practices, from his rabbi, but he also regarded him as an example to be imitated in conduct and character. Which, you know, I don't, I don't like to have a lot of Christian symbols like on my pickup and things like that, because about that time I cut somebody off. <laughs> they fly by and give me the salute as they go. <laughs> but, you know, the interesting thing is they look to us as a character. Now, Matthew 10, 24, and 25, it says, The disciple 
is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. You know, too often I think we as, as individuals, and especially in the United States, you know, where everything, we're so independent, uh, you know, it, we, we cherish our rights, we, we look at that constitution, yeah, I've got the right to say what I want to say, I've got the right to carry a gun, I've got the right to assemble, I've got all these rights that I have. And then I have my civil rights, and don't you dare step on any of those. <clears throat> and sometimes we look at that like we don't want to copy anyone. I don't want to copy that person. I want to go on my own way. And that's all right, as long as you're going the way the Lord wants you to go. But the Lord has set things up for a reason. So we come to church. Why do we come to church? We come to church to hear the word, to gather, to fellowship right? We sharpen on each other a little bit, you know. You get, uh, you get guys like Shane there that come up there, hey, old man. <laughs> Find a place for you for your last days. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. <laughs> but we come here and we enjoy each other. We have a good time of fellowship. We hear the word. <clears throat> But what do we do with it after that? And part of the deal is, where do we go to fellowship after fellowship? Where do we go to find that Paul that's going to mentor us? Where do we go find that Barnabas that I can rub up against and sharpen up and bounce things off of? And where's that Timothy that I can minister into? So that I guess it's like we talk about that if, if we're like a river, so the word says like rivers of living water flow out of our belly. How do they flow out if I don't have some place to send them? See, if I don't have somebody to send them to, <clears throat> excuse me, then they dam up. And what happens when they dam up? They come like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is rich. I forget how much they figure the minerals that are in the Red Sea are worth but in another sense, they're worth less because it's dead. Nothing can grow in there. Nothing lives in there. So these rivers have to flow through us. Now, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 also says, now this is, this is Paul speaking. He says, <clears throat> pattern yourselves after me. Follow my example as I imitate and follow Christ the Messiah. So the rabbi, in turn, was considered responsible for his disciple. Now, how many of you watched the movie White Christmas? Oh, come on. <laughs> okay, I'll raise this for those that don't. White Christmas is, is a great Christmas movie I've always enjoyed. It's one of our favorites. But in that movie, there's a song that they're singing, Bing Crosby and, and, uh, and them, and they're singing, and it's called, Gee, I Wish I Were Back in the Army. And one of the things that they say in that song, gee, I wish I were back in the army because there's always someone up above that I can pass the buck. <laughs> so, and that leads us into Matthew 12, 1 through 3, which says, at that particular time, Jesus went through the fields of standing grain on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to pick off the spikes of the grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, see there, 
your disciples are doing what is unlawful, not permitted by the Sabbath. They didn't go to them. They went to the rabbi. And the, and the disciples, if somebody would approach them, they would have said, go talk to Jesus. He told us to do it. In Luke 19.39 also, he says, <clears throat> um, and some of the Pharisees from the throng said to Jesus, Teacher, reprove your disciples. He replied, I tell you, if they keep silent, the very stones will cry out. So a, so a rabbi, a leader, part of his responsibility was to cover the people he was teaching. See, leaders... Part of what we learn about being a disciple is we learn how to lead. Now, when I was working in the refinery, there were different types of people that were leaders in the refinery. There were people that were very knowledgeable. There were people that were very skilled. And I would look and see which one of these guys I wanted to pattern myself after. Because when I was sitting at the rail yard loading rail cars one night, <clears throat> when it was weather like this and I'm on top of a rail car and I'm dumping asphalt in the car, I'm looking out and I'm going, oh, Lord, how long am I going to be sitting up here? <laughs> and the Lord put me in positions to be used as a leader. Now, there's qualifications for leadership, which we're going to be getting into as the month goes on. But one of the things about being a leader is to be qualified. Now, I was put into an unqualified leadership position which is very uncomfortable. I was asked to head up a, what they call a high-pressure MDU project for fuel gas for the refinery. I was an apprentice. I was not trained in gas detection. I was not trained in permit writing. But I was the lead. I found out later the reason I was the lead is all the senior operators turned down the job. <laughs> Had nothing to do with me. <clears throat> but in that position of being an unqualified leader, I had to go to them. I need you to do a gas test for me. I need you to write my permit. And all I could do was get people lined up for the job, and these guys had to come in and do my work for me. Very uncomfortable. But it was a learning process. I got to see how they did things. And I started beginning getting qualified in these things, kind of out of sequence, because normally you go through things and they take you through these classes, but I began to watch these guys. And then I found the guy I really wanted to watch. I, I liked how he did his gas test. I liked how he wrote his permits. I liked how he interacted with me, who was learning. Some of them came in there, and they rode me up one side and down the other for being taken that job. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> but he... Uh, he was decent about it. He understood why I had the job. He understood that they didn't tell me, the bosses didn't tell me why they gave me the job because I didn't know enough to say no. <laughs> Jesus also had a prayer that he spoke in John seventeen twelve. He says, while I was with them, I kept and preserved them in your name. This is his high priestly prayer. In the knowledge and worship of you. Those you have given me, I guarded and protected and not one of them has perished or is lost except the son of perdition, Judas. Now, one of the things that interesting about the 
word Talmud also it says, stresses the relationship between the rabbi, the teacher, the master, and the disciple. You understand as leaders, we have to have a relationship with the people we lead. We have meetings once a month where we discuss things. Like today, the children have a meeting today. And Kyla's going to be taking all the teachers and those involved in the teaching meeting. And she's going to be giving them some instructions as how things may be changing, some things that she's noticed. She's going to be taking questions. But she's leading this. And two things can happen here. You can have people come in as <clears throat> workers. In other words, okay, I'll take your notes and I'll go do whatever. Or you have people come in that have a relationship with her and say, you know, that's really good. Have you thought about this? See, if I have a relationship with somebody, I can ask questions like that. I can go to that, I can go to that person who's mentoring me and I can say, you know, this is really good, but have you thought about it? Now, if I'm just a worker, okay, whatever. That's what she wants. That's what she's going to get. See, there's a difference. And it's up to us as leaders and you might say, well, I'm not leading anything right now. If you're here right now, you're leading. You have an opportunity to lead in this, in this body. And it doesn't have to be in a position like, oh, I'm the head of altar care. No, I'm in altar care. And in altar care, I lead. And as people come and talk to me, I, te I talk to them from a point of my position in altar care. My position as a teacher. Did you know that clock doesn't move very fast? <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, it should. Told myself to talk very slowly and distinctly this time, so I'm not just running over myself. So the interesting thing, so we as, as leaders then, how do we develop relationships? It isn't going to be in the meetings. Relationships happen outside the meetings. Where do we want to have coffee? Do we take that time to sit down and just, let's just fellowship. Let's learn. Let's have some give and take. Let's find out where we're going to be in these things. Leaders need to be leading in that direction. We also have to remember that as, <clears throat> excuse me, as a church, we don't have those structures outside of, you know, you have your pastor, your associate pastor, you have, you have those office heads. But within the church body itself, we kind of just, we just kind of run. You know, we need to come back to that place of fellowship so that we can learn on each other. I mean, how many times do we go, and I have to look back, back in the day when we would go from church, we would go have lunch with somebody new at church, somebody we didn't know, and we would sit down and talk with them. What did you think about the message? I thought that was a really good point. We had people come over to our house. And we just visit. And there were things that would come up for the message of that week that we would discuss. And sometimes just have that time of just loving on each other and getting to know each other. Part of being a leader and a disciple is also being transparent. How do I be transparent with somebody I don't know? I can't be transparent with people that are just, just not wanting to be available. I can't share myself. I can't share what God's put in me. God has put a lot of things in here. He's put a lot of things in you. But if we, don't, if we don't get transparent with people, if we don't take that time to sit down and visit and to develop that leadership, leadership doesn't have to do with just being a member of the church. It has to do with what you're doing outside in this life. In your business, in your job, in your friendships, in your family. 
you know, one of the interesting things about Ephesians <clears throat> when it talks about the husband and the wife. In Ephesians 5, it talks about being transparent. In Ephesians, then it talks about being a husband, what, his, what the wife is to respect her husband and the husband and all the things he's supposed to do. And he says, I speak as Christ in the church. What does that mean? Christ was the head. He was the leader of the church. The wife was the church supporting the head. It's how we're supposed to work together. It works in families. It works in friendships. You know, sometimes we look at somebody, I always like the scripture that says, you know, the hoary head is one of, you know, <laughs> honor. I'm just getting old. But, but, you know, sometimes we, society, I'm not saying the, ch the church at large, but society's kind of taken people with older, with the gray hair and stuff, and they've kind of pushed them off. And they put them in a place, you know, that's why people want to dye their hair, because I don't want to be that person that gets pushed off. <laughs> And some people will probably have, we've got Dale here, I don't know, use Grecian formula or what? <laughs> but these, these things about having fellowship and relationship as a leader and a disciple, they don't have to be, I'm, your, I'm the leader, you're the disciple, we just come into that place. And, and people find places. You know, I, I find, um, well, this guy that I minister to, We've been going on about seven, eight years now. Um, somebody mentioned him the last time he was speaking. But the, it's been that thing for seven or eight years now. He and I have had coffee anywhere from one to three times a week. And in one to three times a week, he and I have gotten to that place where we're transparent with one another. And I can speak into his life. And he can speak into mine. It started out as a Paul-Timothy relationship and it's turned more into a Barnabas relationship. And now he's finding somebody to be a Timothy. Or he's going to be a, a Paul to someone. But these relationships don't happen just because we go to church. See, too often we, we walk out of here and we don't see each other again until Thursday night. And sometimes we don't see each other again for the next month because we just don't have time. Leadership and discipleship takes time. It takes time. I mean, in a family relationship, in a husband, wife, and children relationship, it takes time. You don't just get married and all of a sudden, like, this is just the way it's going to be. There's that growing. Where are we going to be? How are we going to minister to one another? How are we going to minister Christ to our family? How are we going to raise our kids? What are the things we're going to do? And those, those things all take time. To have a relationship here, to be a leader here, it takes time. You know, we've, we've got a pastor, and we've got a associate pastor, and associates, and associate pastor. <laughs> got to be grammatically correct. But we have a pastor and an associate pastor. And we have, so we have two. And then everybody wants to have a piece of the pastor's time. It's one of the reasons we set up altar care. So the pastor would have time to get to know people instead of getting locked down with a person up here and not getting to see anybody, right? Because the idea is fellowship <laughs> and to get to know people and to understand people. One of the things that <clears throat> in 1 uh, Kings chapter 19, the father is speaking to Elijah, and he says, 
Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Excuse me. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael, king over Aram. And you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, as prophet in your place. So something was set up ahead in your place. You're going to have somebody take over for you. And it shall come about that Jehu shall put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha shall put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I will leave 7,000 survivors in Israel, and all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth has not kissed him. It says, and so Elijah departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pair of oxen. Now, I don't know if you've ever plowed behind a horse before. I haven't. My dad did but 12 pair of oxen, 24 oxen. Can you imagine what he was pulling for plow? <laughs> and to, and to, really to control 24 pair of oxen. And he with the 12th. And Elijah went over to him and threw his mantle, his coat, upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please, now understand, think about this. He comes up, he takes off his coat, and he just throws it over Elisha. Then he starts walking off. Elijah immediately knows what this means. Now, we don't understand a lot of these things because our society doesn't look at these this way. But he understood that when that guy gave him his mantle, that was a call. So what happens when you have a call? He says, he ran after him, and he says, please let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will follow you. And Elijah says, go on back for what I have done to stop you. So Elisha went back and he took a pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their meat with the implements of the oxen as fuel and gave the meat to the people. An interesting thing that I found out, so I was wondering, so what does an oxen weigh? And a dressed oxen came in at almost 1,200 pounds. So he was feeding almost a ton and a quarter of meat to the people. That must have been a gathering. <laughs> I'm out of here. Beat him. And they ate. And then he stood and followed Elijah and served or ministered unto him. Now, the interesting thing about the word follow, it meant he pursued. Now, we as, if we're going to be good leaders, we need to also be good disciples. We need to pursue those in leadership. Because as we pursue them, we learn from them. The other word, minister, it says to attend to as a menial or a worshiper. Now, we don't want to worship the people that are leading us, but the idea was that I have given up everything. A Talmudim back in those days gave up everything. So when he said, I'm going to go kiss my mom and dad goodbye, that was goodbye. Now, when I've done funerals, I've, I've used an example of my mother-in-law, her mom was born in Slovakia, she in, in Bohemia. And at a young age, she left Bohemia with her sister on a boat. They went across the ocean on a boat. Now, when they kissed their mom and dad goodbye, that was it. Now, thankfully, they had letters they could write back and forth, but that was it. They never, they never saw them again. 
I don't know if they even were able to send pictures back in those days. So the last thing they saw was their daughter at the port going to America. And then while in America, she's with her sister in Chicago, and they answer the ad in the paper from a gentleman in Montana who has lost his wife and has two kids looking for a wife. We don't think about these things these days, right? We court. We go on dates. We get to look. This was an ad. <laughs> no pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I need a wife. I got two kids. I got land. So she wrote back and she says, well, that's fine, but I have a sister and I can't leave her in Chicago alone. And he says, well, that just that's interesting because it just so happens my, my brother lost his wife <laughs> and has, did he have kids also? And he had kids also. So they got a twofer. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, times have changed. I mean, honestly, we look at this and we kind of laugh and, and you can even cringe a little bit. But this was the times. Sight unseen, I answered an ad and went out there and I made a life. And the reason they made a life is because they chose. I have left my family across the ocean whom I'll never see again. I am in this strange land, and I'm going to go be with a man I have never met. Do you understand the relationship that between us and Christ? I have left, I've come to this place. Now I know him, but I've never met him. I'm going to see him one day. I'm kind of in that place. I've answered the ad. I'm going. I'm going to Christ. But I haven't seen him yet. And he's got a family. <laughs> and I'm part of that family. So, <clears throat> Jesus looks at us <clears throat> as, as our ex extreme leader. Now, as a leader, what were some of the things that he did? He talked to his disciples. As a, I mean, God talked with Moses as a man talks with a friend. Jesus talked with his disciples pretty much the same way. We as disciples must learn from that. How do we talk to people as a friend? Um, Larry uh, Phelan, Pastor Larry Phelan, his whole message is introducing you to a friend. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be as a friend. But again, that word about iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We're supposed to do that too. We're supposed to love each other enough to say, hey, I don't know if that's right. We need to talk about that. We need to be that place. Jesus encouraged his disciples. We need to be encouragers. Jesus also corrected his disciples. We need to be correctors. One of the things we learn as being a disciple is we learn how to correct others. I mean, many we've all been corrected in our lives from children on up to uh, in school and then on up into uh, relationships and at work. We've been corrected. I got corrected pretty good. <laughs> I uh, fixed a problem for a 
a supervisor one time and says, well, I, I guess we got you straightened out. And he whipped around on me and says, I'm the one who straightens people out. I didn't like the way he corrected me. <laughs> but in that, I learned that's not a way to correct people. But on the other hand, I learned as, as a disciple, because he's my supervisor, I'm learning things from him and the people around him, I shouldn't be so cavalier. You can be real cavalier. Sometimes <clears throat> one of the things about a relationship in a church is sometimes we get to be almost too cavalier in our relationship between leadership and discipleship. We take liberties. And the thing is, when we're in leadership, we don't need people taking liberties. We need people doing what we've asked them to do because there has to be consistency. So we can't have the first Sunday teacher teaching different than the second Sunday teacher and different than the third Sunday teacher. Now, they're all going to have different styles. They're all going to have different styles. But this is the message. This is how we're getting our point across. And then you'll notice also that those teachers, you're going to have students that like the first Sunday. And then you're going to have other students that like the second Sunday. You see, there's a, there's, you start to pattern yourself after people that you like and enjoy and you learn from. One of the things that I've always enjoyed about being in this church is that I learn. And I'm challenged. I have to love somebody. <laughs> Even when he picks on me. <laughs> But no, we have, we have to learn. And as disciples, we learn so that we can better teach. We can better lead. So I'm always in a place of being in discipleship. And the thing interesting about discipleship, a lot of people think it has to do with age. It really doesn't. It has to do with authority. So I am 20-some years older than Pastor Sean. But he's my pastor. So I look up to him as my Paul. Mike, are you his age or younger? A little older. Well, okay. So you're getting closer. But I look, to, I look up to them as a Paul. People who can speak into my life. And I learn from that. And from that, I take some of that comes out of me in a different way because I take what they, and then I process it in my way of processing, and when I go out and minister to somebody else, I minister what I learned, what was put into me in my way of doing it. And some people, and this is the truth, some people receive that, some people don't. I mean, that's just, that's just life. So then, one of the things that came up, so we've got this relationship between a Talmudin, a disciple, and a rabbi or a leader. How do, we, how do we work that out to learn from them? We have to be pliable. We have to be, we have to be unoffendable. Because one of the things that is going to cause the biggest problem between a teacher and a learner, a disciple and a leader, is offense. And so when I listen to Dale next Saturday. I'll have more to put in about this <laughs> on Sunday. So do good. <laughs> but we're, we're reading this book about the bait of Satan, about 
offenses. Now, when I, I think it was the first message I did as the leaders in men, and what I did is I set a trap, because I used to trap, so I had some traps. I set a trap in a dirt box to show everybody that this is what it looks like, so that when an animal walks up to this trap, he doesn't see a trap. You know, there's this hole that has a smell in it, and it's, in, it's excuse me, it smells good. So I want to check this out. And he gets close enough and he gets to dancing around. Now, I watched a YouTube video because I was trying to get a little more insight on this. <clears throat> and I watched this one fox come into a, a set. And he da- danced around the set and bounced around the set and went all around the set and finally ran off. Safe. I saw this other fox come in, get around that set, and in two steps he was in the trap. That quick. So what can interfere with this relationship. Now, you remember Gehazi and uh, Elijah, Elisha. So you remember Naaman came, and this is in uh, 2 Kings 5.20. So Naaman comes, and he's got leprosy. And he comes and he talks to, he wants to get a hold of Elijah. So what does Elijah do? He sends Gehazi down and says, tell him to go wash in the Jordan seven times. Naaman is offended. But on his way out, his servant says, Master, if he'd have told you to do some great thing, would you have hesitated to do it? Why not just do this little thing? So he stopped. He got off at the Jordan River. He dipped himself in seven times. He came out with skin like a baby, it says. So he comes back to Elisha and he says, man, this is awesome. I, want to, I brought things to give you. And Elisha says, yeah, go your way. And Naaman made a, made a statement. He says, you know, I'm going to be going back to my king. But when I go to my king and we bow before his gods, I want you to know I'm bowing my knee to your God, to the God of heaven. And he leaves. So now we have this servant, this disciple, and this leader. And what does the disciple do? Well, he says, my master has spared this name in the Aramean by not accepting from him what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Now, two of these guys were walking around a trap. Naaman was dancing around that trap ready to stick his foot in it. But somebody come up and said, maybe you better think about this for a second. So Naaman goes and does that, what he's been asked to do. And it turns out good for him. Now we have Gehazi who's looking at this and he's saying, you know, Elijah, we could have used some of that stuff. We could have, I'm a little offended here. We could be living a little, little large right now. So he runs after him. Now, there's a lot of points about this trap. He's up to Naaman. At that point, he could have said, no, I'm going to go back. But was he listening to his leader? So he says, well, you know, I'm going to lie. We've got these two sons of prophets that are coming. So would you just give me a couple changes of clothes and a little bit of silver so we can send them on their way? And he says, sure, here, take these. Now, at that point, he could have said, That's a lie. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be doing this. 
goes back with the, with the servants. They bind, I mean, th- I don't understand what a talent of silver, silver is, but apparently it's fairly heavy because he bound two talents of silver and he had servants carry them back with Gehazi to uh, Elisha's place. And he goes along, and at any point he could have said, you know, guys, take this back, take this back. But he danced around that trap, and finally he got into his house. He let them put it in his house, and he says, see ya. And then he goes up and he talks to Elisha. And Elisha says, and this would be like verse 25, it says, where you been? So a disciple and a leader, a follower and a leader. He said, I didn't go anywhere. In verse 26, Elisha said to him, did my heart not go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it, proper to, is it a proper time to accept money and clothing and olive orchards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Understand that relationship? Did my heart not go with you? As leaders, our hearts need to go with our disciples. And you think, well, what does that mean? I mean that we trust them. Now, he had a vision. He saw. God gave him the word of knowledge, word of wisdom. He was seen out there, and he saw Gehazi go to this chariot. He saw everything that happened all the way back. I don't know that I'd want to have that vision. But, but the, point, the point being, his heart went with him. And I'm sure he was heartbroken. Because Gehazi, this isn't just like a guy I picked up yesterday on the street and then and I would expect him to mess up. This is a guy that had been with him for a while, learned from him, ate with him, served him, ministered to him. And at that point, he says, my heart went with you. I saw. And now, that which was on Naaman is on you. And the word says that it followed him and his family forever. We have responsibilities as leaders to be sure that we do not create offense. We need to be unoffendable, but we need to stand firm. We need to remember as being disciples what it was like to learn, to grow, to get to this place of leadership. We need to understand that, that leadership is qualified and it gets qualified at the disciple level. It doesn't get qualified at the leader level. Because we look at people, and I'm just taking people in general, I'm not saying like leader of the church. We look at the people, we all do. And do I want that person in my life? Do I want that person taking my message? So as disciples, we need to be that person that says, I can trust him. I can trust him that the message is going to go forth, it's going to go right. And I don't have to go back and explain what I really meant. (laughs) So, thank you for coming. Thank you for being in leadership. Thank you for being leaders. Every one of you, I thank you all for being leaders standing in that place but don't ever forget be a disciple be the right disciple be learning always be learning that is so important for us
the day we stop learning. <laughs> it's a sad, sad day. Father, I thank you. I give you praise. I thank you for the blessing of this time. I thank you for the services to come after this, Father God. I thank you for the word that is coming forth. I thank you for the praise and worship. Father God, we just call it blessed. We thank you for the sound team, Lord. We give you praise for them and the actions that you've given them, Father. We thank you that you've called us to be disciples in all these areas. You've called us to be leaders. Father, help us by your spirit to fulfill those positions and do what is right and glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.